Hello, anybody there? Hey, how are you? Hey, good. How are you, Uzo? I'm good. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Great to meet you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to get to talk to you about all things uh, screenwriting, but also about your life, where you come from, and uh, what you're looking to do with your with your work. So, uh, do you mind if we get started at the very beginning, if that's okay? Sure. Awesome. So, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, in particular, where you're from, and uh, where does your journey begin? Yeah. So, my name is Uzal Chijoke. I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, and I've been moving west ever since college. Mm. Um, so I left the East Coast. I lived in Arkansas, then Texas, and then now I'm in LA. Uh, I actually I began writing in 2017. I, I originally set out to be a novelist, mm. where you know I, I had a fantasy fiction idea that I that I uh, put together, and I don't know how, if you've interviewed many authors, but uh, the the querying space for authors is is not a kind one. Um, right. So you know, I went through like trying to query my first title, no agent. Wrote a second book, um, got a little further with more requests, but um, still nothing there yet. And in that time period, I was expressing my frustrations to another friend who was in the screenwriting space, and he was telling me his about how you know. Hollywood is tough to break into, um, but as we like exchanged samples, he kept encouraging me to turn things I've written into scripts. Mm -hmm. And I read his work and actually saw what a script looked like. It looked a lot simpler than writing ninety thousand words of prose, <laughs> at least to me. Um, so I, I dove into the screenwriting world. Uh, we started writing a feature together, and then from there, I started writing my own um, features and pilots or samples for those, and kind of went full steam to ahead towards the screenwriting world. Now, I still had the novel manuscripts in like my back pocket, um, and I didn't want to throw them away. So, the first novel I wrote, I actually started adapting into a graphic novel, which. Mm the first volume of which came out this week or this past week. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that, that's probably also due to the advice that you see a lot in the writing world of, you know, make your own stuff. Um, I think usually that, that turns into people, you know, making their own short films or um, doing an indie feature. I, but I guess in, in my case, you know, I had material that I wanted to see someday and like, well, let me, turn into a graphic novel and let everyone see it yeah. while I'm still refining my screenwriting craft and, and making strides in that arena. And then ideally, at some point, those two worlds converge in the future where someone discovers the, the written works and then they're like, hey, we want to adapt this. I'm like, hey, well, I'm actually a screenwriter. So <laughs> you got that. <laughs> Today's your lucky day. Yeah, you got one man yeah. to do it. So. Yeah. You mentioned in your bio that you have a background in pharmacy or that you initially started doing something else completely. And yes. I, I really empathize with this as the son of immigrant parents as well. You know, there's always an expectation and things that you feel might have to be done. But I'm curious a little bit about how that experience was for you and 
what allowed you to move beyond that and say, you know what, I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to follow my own path. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I am a pharmacist by education, did pharmacy school, practiced, got board certified at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, all throughout my life, I've always had these creative, like, inklings, but never really nurtured them. And it, it wasn't a situation where my parents actively discouraged me from doing it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I wasn't one of those kids that had amazing paintings or something and then the parents said no go to medical school <laughs> um in my case yeah in my case i had good grades in my stem courses in, in you know um high school um etc and like going to the pharmacist path made sense and as i moved on, i started writing the, the novels um that's when i really like just dove into the creative space and you know, in this time period of learning more of like what it's like to break into the industry, um, but also having some some wins, some short term successes that, that kind of validated that you know I'm I'm good at this and I'm becoming better at it. That it, it just felt more it felt more fulfilling than pursu- continues to pursue more and more of things in the pharmacy realm. Um, so. Yeah, even now, I think what what I benefited from from being in pharmacy is uh, I have a bit more security as far as being able to uh, pursue some of these these things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And and whether this was writing or rock climbing or anything like that, um, I have a good you know base foundation of being able to take care of myself. So I'm I'm definitely thankful for that. Yeah, man, it's a it's a difficult journey, as you've said, you know, whether you're going into writing novels or becoming a screenwriter, there is a certain grind, a huge mountain to climb that has to be handled. And I think this is something that is not often talked about this need to to find stability. I mean, there's a lot of folks who are hurting right now because they chose to go into their their field that they're passionate about. But they don't have anything to fall back on. Is that is that such a dirty thing? Is that a bad thing for somebody to to have that and and be blamed that they're not committing a hundred percent to their craft or or going without a safety net? Yeah, I I, I feel like I've heard different school trains of thought about this. Some people will tell you that, you know, the the universe or, you know, whatever they believe in won't give you the screenwriting wins you want or anything like that and mm-hmm. unless you totally commit yourself 100 percent, maybe that's that like think and grow rich kind of mentality mm-hmm. there um, and then for other people it's you don't feel safe doing any of that unless you have safety right. yeah you know? uh, so i guess to to each their own i mean me personally like yeah if if a television writing job comes up tomorrow, obviously I can't do that in my day job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if if a job to you know if a opportunity to volunteer on a set came up, you know I don't think I would quit my job to do that. Mm-hmm. You know that mm-hmm. that doesn't that that seems kind of foolhardy to me. What I understand that 
you know, getting the experience being on set, whether it's as a PA or any other kind of assistant, um, can can get you closer to where you want to be. But at the same time, if you can't afford your rent, et cetera, because (laughs) you gave up, you gave up the job that was paying your bills. That that, that doesn't, that seems counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious of the process that you went through going from being an author and having a more long form mindset into distilling it over to screenwriting, which is my favorite form, a beautiful form, but it's also a pain in the ass and very mechanical. Uh, I'm curious of what learning experiences you had along the way that really made an impact for you, changing your stories from a novel to a screenplay, if you can remember any of those, maybe one or two. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing to uh, adjust to is how much description is needed or not needed. Um, you know, in, in a novel, you're, as your character is walking down a street, you're describing the flowers and the windowsills and the breeze blowing past their hair or something like that. Versus in a screenplay, you can just write, it was windy, you know, <laughs> or, you know, some form of that <laughs> yeah. where it, it's a lot, you no, know, a lot simpler. And then you trust the director and um, set designers to and flesh that out more. You know, I, the, the novel process is all you, the, and you have to paint it in a way that your readers can see what you're seeing in your head when you're writing it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the screenwriting, you know, you're, you're creating something that will, what, that will become a collaborative document. You know, um, that will get notes and be edited. And then when it turns into the visual media, more and more people are touching it. And it's not just your story you're painting by yourself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say for, yeah, like I said, the, the biggest things to adapt to were adjusting how you write, how you describe scenes, uh, realizing what doesn't need to be said um, right away. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, in like if you're reading something from like George R. R. Martin, he'll introduce a character and then tell you like the character's family history for for pages, you mm-hmm. know, um, before you kind of continue on with what the story is. But you can't do that in screenplay, right? Yeah, yeah. So, do you recall in uh, in a screenplay that you were writing? Doesn't matter, you know, when it was, but when it finally sunk in or it started making sense to you and you said oh i get this i understand this format better than i did ever before um yeah i think so one of the novels that i wrote um i adapted it and into a feature and submitted it to austin and uh i second rounded with it and and I hadn't touched it since I submitted it, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I came back to it after that second round win because obviously, you know, when you when you start placing and more people are asking you about things, eventually they want to see the script, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's just another player you meet who wants to swap, etc. So when I dove back into it those months later, after I had worked on more things, I gotten more notes, and just continued to improve, and. Yeah, I was noticing, okay, these are things that 
I don't need. While they were precious to me in the book, they don't really need to be shown uh, in the in a feature format. And you know, it did feel kind of strange. Like, like I like I wrote the novel, and then I'm writing the feature, and I'm changing entire scenes or condensing and combining scenes that are still in the novel that I, I haven't went back and changed the novel to make to match the feature. Um, and then you start thinking about all the other books that get turned into movies or television shows and like, oh, why did they take this out? And you realize how much of that doesn't make sense for, you know, a 90-minute mm. movie. Yeah, right. And I imagine that's got to be pretty difficult to to go from something that is so personal, right, to a form that is so collaborative. And it feels like you got to let go of your baby, right? And having that from from an author's point of view, you're a novelist, you've spent who knows how long on the novel to then hand it off for somebody else to transform it. Are you suddenly okay with that? Or that does that take time for you to adjust to the emotional part of it to say, this is not just my baby, it's our baby now? Yeah, I think with the book specifically, it really is going to depend on how how much the book like the story in the book means to you mm -hmm. uh for example with the fantasy story that i wrote that's meant to be a series in my mind i have a whole universe that develops from it so while the middle of it I, i'd be okay with certain changes there are certain things on the front on the beginning and the and the tail end that i would not budge on because they would like that sets up things that I want to do later in the story with spinoffs or whatever. Um, now with this one that I adapted to a feature, um, it also feels kind of strange because the the feature version of it that I wrote, um, I got an eight on the blacklist with it, it and having conversations with people about it. But I had I had like no interest in getting it made right now because the book isn't made mm. and there's a lot in the story that is precious to me that i would want the established book ip to be there you know so that that's the story mm. i see so in its yeah. purest form the novel version would be the ideal vehicle for it first because it has all the info it, it would have the full picture um without without distillation yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm curious of of how much of your cultural background makes its way into your stories. I know, you know, for some of us, you know, who are kind of in the middle as, as immigrant people, we we tend to either fully double down on the cultural representation of of our personhood, you know, and where we come from. And then there's other folks who choose to invent something that is completely new. And and almost like removed from where one comes from, and I'm curious of where you stand on that, or if it varies from project to project, whether you you incorporate some of that cultural background and some of those um, some of those things from what you might call home in into the work. Yeah, yeah, I can say for sure. Like the the book that became a, a feature script, uh, that was all cultural. Like mm. even even if it was made into a movie, they wouldn't be speaking English most of the movie. Wow. 
um yeah so so in that one it's yeah all cultural and all like reflecting on uh issues that i see in my culture i think in some of the other stories that are set in america uh for the most part in modern times that i guess that there's certain questions or dilemmas that um that i might experience or people close to me in my experience that i translate into something that is not just a nigerian story um mm -hmm. so like culturally for us there's a lot of a lot of duty and responsibility put on like the oldest son mm -hmm. um so if i have a story of uh, you know whether it's drama or comedy i might make the i might i'm more likely to make the protagonist the oldest child who's also very dutiful and dealing with that whether they're nigerian or white or asian or or anything like that um so so it's, it's still telling something that's relatable to mm -hmm. to me culturally but in a format that might be more accessible to more people yeah yeah so is is this something that you're actively looking to make inroads in terms of re representation especially for like nigerian culture or nigerian american folks that might not be seen or or is this something that maybe you've seen already represented um what do you what do you think is the status of i guess representation i guess maybe that's a question yeah i i think i i see a few different things uh, when it comes to african stories um sometimes there's the the story that is like oh we're african and we're different like see us mm. you know um mm. then there are the stories that usually like, are coming out of like a nigeria or south africa that are set there and you're just seeing people's problems there um and social class divides i i, th I think for me what if, if if i'm going to tell like a story that is wholly nigerian um there's usually going to be some kind of like truth based like fact basis to it um where i, I see that there's so so much historic historic historically that has happened in africa mm -hmm. that hasn't been dramatized mm -hmm. that like there's an endless amount of stories there without like reality TV or um, mm. making up something that I think more people could learn from. So, for example, my 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 parents or a lot of our parents in general, like they they didn't grow up with the internet. They they grew up getting taught what um, you know British colonizers taught them in school. Mm -hmm. So some stories about how the country became independent, etc. They're learning the same time I'm learning as an adult now that the internet is out and documentaries are coming out and things like that. So if we're able to reach back and look at like stories of like our independence movements, uh, some of the more notorious like um, mm -hmm. riots that happened, other other events that had a big impact, and then drill down and 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 elevate characters that make sense for those stories yeah. I, I think that's like the missing piece to the puzzle of immigrant story being represented you know mm -hmm. uh, 
Yeah. And I probably, I, I think it was like watching Narcos that kind of opened my eyes to that. I was like, oh, this is like, I, mm. I've heard the name Pablo Escobar, but I, I didn't know those stories. So like seeing it all dramatized, it was like, and it was mostly in Spanish, but still interesting right. and still follow it. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives you sort of hope that, that people are ready for that stuff and, and that yeah. we should be mobilizing to make stories like that, that don't have to bend to a certain traditional perspective, right? Uh, we, we need subtitles. <laughs> you know, that's where the perspectives yeah. are. But do you remember when you were younger ever having this thing that people have about seeing themselves in movies or maybe not having those experiences and being like, I want to write something for the younger me, for the kids who don't see themselves yet? Or did you ever have a moment like that when you were experiencing things as a kid that you're like, oh, wow, that's me up there, or this is something that I want to do for others? Yeah, I think as a as a kid, most of what I saw representing Africans was like comedy. Mm. Um, and, and there's also my mom would bring a lot of not Hollywood movies. So yeah, um, I wasn't seeing my theater. I was seeing the movies that were being made in Nigeria hmm. um, that I tried to, et cetera. So I, I had I had that aspect, but yeah, as far as I I would see an act and be like, oh, they're Nigerian or oh, they're African, you know, that's cool. Hmm. I, but I, I don't think it was as big as I'm really missing seeing nigerian specific stories mm. um and i don't know if i trusted hollywood to do those accurately <laughs> without right. like making it look like a coming yeah right right so i'm curious what those sensibilities are of like nigerian movies that you used to watch like what were they about or what was the sort of like the feel of those movies yeah so and you kind of still see that today in the modern stuff but um, I want to say there's there's kind of two different types, if I had to zoom out. Mm -hmm. um, one are the very local village stories where it's people in the village having issues. And whether that's they're showing like historical times village or present day times village. Mm -hmm. Someone in the village probably has issues with money or taking care of something that would seem simple to an American, but is issued to them and then someone from the city or outside the village comes and kind of saves them mm -hmm. um, from the situation or someone in the village gets a chance to leave and change their family's like destiny then on the other end of the spectrum there are the stories that take place in the city like lagos where you're seeing people that are like ultra wealthy relatively mm -hmm. dealing with issues and drama and that's usually the stories of oh someone's father died and ki kids are arguing over inheritance mm. or um someone is plotting against another man to, to take over his company or his wealth things like that <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah i would say a lot of that middle is still missing to me because in those in in the stories on the tail end, 
there's always like the the maids or the servants that mm-hmm. are there yeah serving but you never you really see their story like what is it like waking up and then having to go work a gate for someone with money and like what are you what are you trying to do with your life you know i don't think at 40 you want to be opening gates mm. you know so what else do you want to do yeah right right so I hope this one doesn't come out of left field, but I'm I'm curious because you mentioned in your bio that you did spend quite a bit of time in the U.S. Army, and I yeah. mean that has to be such a formative experience. It has to be something that that defines maybe the way that you see the world, whether it was you know for good or bad. And I'm curious how that experience shaped you and your perspective, and whether it impacts your writing now. Uh, in the screenplays that you're writing or the stories you want to tell? Yeah, I, I would say that like my time in the army put me around a lot of people that were different than me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, I would say that's to my benefit where like any, anyone that you go to basic training or whatever it's called for your branch of service, like you're you're with people from all over the country, different political views, different religious views, different, you know, you'll meet people that are 18 with with a spouse and children, and then people that are 40 that are single, you know. So mm-hmm. it's a wide range of, of that you're you're meeting and you learn to become friends with and build memories with. And I think for me that that's like one of the times in my life that has expanded my field of vision beyond what i grew up seeing in maryland Mm. um so so i i think i can i don't know if it's because of the army or if it's you know a chicken or egg egg kind of thing but i'm i'm more receptive to the different kinds of stories like that you need shows like a yellowstone in the mix you know that um cater to that middle america crowd for television to feel full you know and i think you need more shows like like that um because not everyone's going to see themselves in shows that take place in los Mm -hmm. angeles or new york right and i think there's a second part to your question i might have missed oh um you know i i think uh you answered it so well that uh you may have covered it but but i think it was it was uh whether it was influencing your work how how it impacts the writing yeah um so, so, yeah I, I think that may, maybe that that's why i would i i don't feel the need to write every story where my protagonist is nigerian or mm-hmm. or black um uh, i i'm comfortable writing stories of other people's experiences and Bring them in the mix and and considering cultural differences as I create those characters. Mm-hmm. But I think beyond like the specifics of writing itself, like there's a, there's a resilience you need to ch- if you're trying to make it in any <laughs> entertainment field. Where I, in the military, you're used to the concept of hurry up and wait, mm-hmm. and without anybody telling you why you're waiting or how long you're waiting for. And so now. If if I if I send something out to someone, I, I'm not I'm not really that pressed to get updates on on what's happening with it, and and maybe sometimes that's to my detriment. But in general, 
I I can go outside and smell smell the roses, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and the nose, the nose hurt, but I, it's easy for me to roll roll off of those and go do something else. Mm -hmm. And so I I'm pretty sure that receiving that kind of feedback is common in screenwriting. You get a lot of those, I'm sure, when you're asking for them, and a lot of them may not be nice or well-informed or maybe don't care for the story or this or that. I'm curious what your barometer is for figuring out what works and what doesn't. Like, uh, how do you go about incorporating notes that may, you know, that may be painful at first? Yeah, I, I think my natural response when I get notes is, F you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then yeah. I take a step back and then I read them with less <laughs> annoyed eyes. <laughs> and like, there's, there's always a note behind the note. Mm -hmm. um, I guess as a writer, you have an image in your head. You're trying to translate that onto the page and hope that someone else reads it and increase the same image you had in your head. Mm -hmm. So if for them, some parts of that is, is some parts are fuzzy, then okay, how do I remove the fuzz? Mm -hmm. Because if you're telling me you're confused here, that doesn't mean that my concept is broken. That could just mean that you can't picture my concept. Now, on the other end, there are some times where, you know, some people have stupid notes. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you, if you think about it, right, like whatever, no matter how popular a show is or a movie um, is or was, there's always someone that is throwing a tomato at it on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> you know? And unfortunately, you might get that person that's reading your script and giving you notes. I, I can give an example where uh, a pilot I wrote, you know, I, I submitted it for coverage. Uh, it got torched. And some, of the no and some of the notes came back where, why are the military people in this episode excited to deploy like wouldn't they be more nervous about that and blah 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 <laughs> and i'm reading it as a veteran who's been in the room where deployments were announced and many people cheered because people generally speaking people that are in the military want to be in the military and they want to get those experiences mm -hmm. so like yeah a note saying that these people should not be excited you just don't know what you're talking about <laughs> and maybe my show is not for you mm -hmm. so yeah there's a, a very special process of like parsing through what works and what doesn't but sometimes it's like sticking to your to your guns if, if i hope you pardon this this horrible uh <laughs> phrase here but um <laughs> you mentioned this other thing that i that i really uh appreciate it here in your bio that you you enjoy surrealist shows like like atlanta or black mirror and i'm curious of your sensibility here and what what draws you to those two shows in particular i know it's used kind of like as a a thing on cover fly to kind of get a sense of of what your perspective is but um i'm more interested in your interest of those two shows in particular yeah i think with with shows like that it's you you know you're not going to see something that's formula and for me that sense of excitement that 
I could be surprised. I, I don't know what's going to come next. I, I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So I think it was season three of Atlanta where they started doing all the spinoff uh, anthology episodes. And for some people, they hated it. Like, why aren't these guys just talking about Paperboy's rap career? I don't understand this. But for me, I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I want. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to predict what the next episode is going to be. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm not one of those guys that when Marvel movies are coming out, you know, you're watching all the prediction videos. Um, that's not, that's not me. But at the same time, I, I, I appreciate. I, if I talk about Black Mirror specifically, I appreciate that they take some issue in society like hone in on it and then amplify it and to like a big what if scenario mm-hmm. and and sometimes the the feeling of starting the episode and first oh that's what they're talking about and then oh what are they going to do with that i really mm-hmm. enjoy it a lot um because it feels like i'm going through the experience with the writers who are who crafted the idea yeah yeah. So those are shows that you study or, or pretty regularly look at or maybe read scripts and you say, oh, this is what this is what works or this is what doesn't. Or do you have other shows that you study that uh, that you're maybe experiencing right now that that you've taken lessons from? Yeah, I think the the biggest one that I tend to go back to over and over again is uh, Breaking Bad. Mm um yeah because that that's a show with a ridiculous idea that (laughs) like grounded it in a way still finds ways for serious moments to have some humor like whether it's like jesse pinkman calling someone a bitch you know (laughs) the way he does or you know walter white in his underwear in that over (laughs) you know like like things like that like that that kind of show that pacing and writing um i really appreciate it i'm I'm not big on the shows that are all like sex violence and drugs uh, as the as the plot because I, I tend to feel like a lot of people are watching it because of the sex violence and drugs versus the story where i don't know there's any not really any much of sex in breaking bad or better call saul or um or atlanta even um and yeah and so i think i I think i'm drawn more to shows like that because it's like all right you don't have the the trifecta here so for me watching this it's gotta you gotta be telling an interesting story yeah so i got a couple more questions to be mindful of your time here but this has been awesome, man. I, I think you're, you keep reigniting my love for screenwriting uh, and the power of, of the craft. I, I think there's a lot to explore there, and you're definitely making it your own, which is super exciting. But I would be curious to know um, what things you're looking to, to do this year to mm-hmm. develop your craft or projects that you want to get out there. What are some things that are really burning right now in your mind that you want to get out into the world? Yeah, so I just put volume two of this graphic novel into production. So now with the artist, so it won't be a one-trick pony there. <laughs> so excited, that's off my plate. Uh, 
Secondly, I am working on a scripted podcast with friends. Mm. So as I listen to podcasts like yours and others that talk about the industry, I I've been hearing a bunch about how the scripted podcast space is growing. Mm-hmm. And for any of your, your listeners that might not be familiar, like it's not they're not audiobooks where someone is just reading a book. Let me not just say just reading. It's not an audio thing <laughs> books, you know, with their polished voices, etc. Scripted podcast is more like the old time radio shows mm-hmm. where like you're listening to a, a, a television show, but it's written in a way that helps you as the audience visualize what's happening since there's no pictures or 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 anything to watch. Mm-hmm. And when then when I jump into the podcast, I have to see what was popular. Most of what I see is like murder, um, <laughs> yeah. mystery types of podcasts. But you're not seeing like a scripted podcast version of a Seinfeld or or anything like that. So, um, yeah, me and some friends, we are working on one of those, um, <laughs> having our table read this week. Oh, yeah, nice, um, nice. Yeah, yeah. So back in that whole vein of um, make your own stuff, like, yeah, like th- there's so many writers out there that are waiting for a manager or agent or someone to recognize their script that placed in X amount of competitions or is on trending on the blacklist, et cetera. And that's all great. But at the same time, like those smaller stories that you wrote and oh, no one would ever make this. I'm of the mindset that you should just make it yourself if you can. That's right. Whether, whether that's in a scripted podcast form or turning it into prose as a short story or a book, like, no one is stopping you from doing that. And, you know, when you look at like someone like Issa Rae, who created a web series with friends or other local talent she sourced, and that was recognized and turned into the show, into a show that HBO picks up. So I think in our case, my ideal situation is, yeah, we make the scripted podcast exactly how we want to make it. Um, it gets recognized and then potentially could become a cartoon or or something like that. And that would make a lot of sense to me. Um, and that's me taking control of my own destiny there. But then also I'm finishing up the writer, Writers Guild Foundation's Veterans Writing Project oh, in May. Great. Yeah. Um, so I have a pilot I've been workshopping through that that I'll get to pitch. I'm at the end of our, our, um, our, our, our year and we'll see what happens with that. Um, and then so many other things out there that are moving, that are out of my hands. Um, I've done what I need to do and I'm just waiting for, you know, to hear back. But yeah, then in the day, I think as you're putting things out there and waiting on other people months, years to make something, you can do a podcast, you can write a play for your local, you know, community center, something where someone is reading your work and you can sit back and, and watch it happen and feel proud. It's amazing. I was going to ask you all kinds of things about inspiring people. I and mean, you did that so well that I may not have to ask you. 
but <laughs> this is really exciting because you're getting into the the narrative audio podcasting in a really good time as you said it's a wonderful opportunity and because you're you're a specific voice you need to get those stories out there and that's to me the most fascinating thing about this is that you're not waiting for anyone to give you a chance you're here ready to go and making it happen and i'm grateful for your time that you share that with us because we need to pass that on to folks who feel like they are waiting for a chance. You know, you don't need to wait for anyone. It's time to mobilize and do what you what you love doing and do the right thing. But if there was something else that you wanted to add for folks who are just getting started in the journey, in particular, folks who are who are children of immigrants or people who are who are um they're at the very beginning of the mountain. Uh I would say and you know, this is an original thought, but there's the adage that success leaves clues. And I think if you're entering a space like this, whether it's screenwriting or acting or welding or anything, investing, whatever it is, that there are people before you that have been exactly where you are. And a lot of those people now have podcasts where they give advice so that <laughs> you can learn what they know for free. So when I'm when I meet other writers that aren't like that aren't listening to podcasts of all these industry professionals that they admire um that aren't reading the trades that aren't on social media to connect with other people that aren't going to conferences conventions etc I'm I'm conf like you don't have to you don't have to go to film school anymore to know what's going on mm. and there's there's so many resources that you can tune into to improve your overall knowledge base and kind of feel feel like you're in the room with those people you know so i think a lot of the progression that i've made is because like monday mornings there's like two podcasts i know come out on mondays and so i listen to those in the gym or i'm at work and you know by thursday usually script notes a script notes episode is out craig mazin john august um friday is the light day where nothing is coming out <laughs> uh might listen to music instead but uh i'm getting a lot of my screenwriter education passively by listening to podcasts and i think more and more people that are trying to make it in anything should you know switch away from the music for a second and and get and get more education you know for free and kind of switch that that mindset in their brains to be more in tune with what it takes to become a professional what they want to do that's the way to do it man thank you so much uh uzo this has been yeah. such a blast and i really again thank you so much for reminding us to stay resilient to represent and to pretty much do the best we can with what we have, which is something that I firmly believe in and to not wait for anyone's permission, <laughs> which, uh, I think is the most important thing of all. Uh, but thanks, man. This has been a pleasure and I hope that we get to chat real soon. Maybe talk a little bit more about your comic when it comes out and, uh, you know, all the other fun stuff that you got on the horizon. Hey, when your podcast comes out too, cause I know that's going to be uh, awesome yeah. too. 
Thank you. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'll let you enjoy your Sunday. I hope that you have a wonderful time and I'll be in touch real quick on the internet. Okay. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye.